Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Happy Easter, Mission Church. You're looking good today. Welcome, welcome. If you are brand new or you are visiting, my name is Tyler. I'm the pastor here. So I want to welcome you to our Easter service. Come on now, the 915. Are you ready for the message? Come on now, we got to get to work because we are on a time crunch. Here we go, here we go, here we go now. Matthew 28 says this, Early on Sunday morning as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the woman, Don't be afraid. He said, I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen. That didn't really work out the way I thought it would. Rewind. He has risen. Bam. Come on now. 915 service. You smashed it. I'm not going to tell anybody that you blew it. Okay, anyways. Um, He has risen indeed. Just as he said it would happen. Just as he said. Just as he said. There's something about that, that, that why are they looking for Jesus where he said he wouldn't be? Why are they looking for salvation and comfort in a place he said he wouldn't be? And so he goes, just as he said would happen, come see where his body was lying. Now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. He is going ahead to you, Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. Remember what I have told you. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for what today represents. God, it shows that we know the end of the story. That maybe the scoreboard in our life doesn't look like we're winning, but God, you promise that victory is coming. God, maybe we're in a valley right now, but your word promises that a valley is not our destination, that you're the one that walks us out of it. Oh, we, we thank you. We thank you that you're the resurrected king and you're resurrecting still. God, I pray for the people in the house even right now, Lord, that are maybe new to church or haven't been in church in a long time. Lord, I pray that you would do something special today. Lord, I pray you would comfort those who are hurting. God, I pray that truth would go forth and it would change lives. God, I pray my words would fall to the floor and your words are sore. God, we need you. We need you. Everybody said? Um, okay, anybody um, not know what the game hide-and-go-seek is? Everybody knows what hide-and-go-seek is, yes? Okay, if not, I, I, yeah, 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 yeah. The person next to you will share with you, okay? I'm, I'm, I, you're making me really sad if you don't know what hide-and-go-seek is. You had a very sad childhood. Anyway, okay, so... Uh, now, hide-and-go-seek is well, you know, one of the most famous childhood games, one of my favorite ones, but there's different types of hide-and-go-seek. Let's just be real. There's the hide-and-go-seek between, like, two five-year-olds, you know? You know, the five-year-old goes in the corner and starts counting one, two, three, square, circle, eight, nine, ten. I don't got much respect for five-year-olds, by the way. I think they can count. My bad. Um, shots fired. Um, uh, and so, you know, a little five-year-old starts counting. And the other five-year-old, as they're counting, is like, oh, my gosh, i got to go hide. i got to go hide. And when you're a five-year-old, like, you think, like, oh, behind the, 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 the keyboard, that's going to be a good spot. So then they hide behind the keyboard. And then the other five-year-old gets to 10 and starts looking around. It's like, okay, not behind the table. Like, maybe behind the keyboard. And then you find your buddy behind the keyboard. Like, oh, my gosh, I found you. And your buddy's like, how did you find me? And you're like, I don't know. I'm five. I just looked, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and so it's like little kid five-year-old uh, uh, hide-and-go-seek. It's, it's cute. But then you get to junior high, and it becomes like straight, like, Navy SEAL stuff. You know, it's like, tonight, when the sun goes down, we're playing hide-and-go-seek. Sun goes down, you go in the bathroom, you put on army paint on your face, completely arm, army paint everywhere. You put your, your, your fatigues on, and then your buddy's like, all right, I'm going to go upstairs. I'm going to lock myself in the closet. I'm going to count to 1,000. I'll be up there for one hour. 
you have one hour to go and hide. But when I come out of this room in an hour, I will find you. Sounds like Liam needs him taken. Anyways, okay, so I will find you. And so, so they start counting to a thousand, and in your junior high, you're like, okay, what am I gonna do? And so, so literally, you, you start digging a hole in the backyard, you put leaves over your body, and you have a straw. <laughs> They'll never find me. And I'm like, you think it's funny? I actually did that in hide and go seek in junior high. Okay, this is a, this is a, this is a, the, the true story. Okay, so so I'm hiding under the leaves with a straw, you know, and then your other buddies are running around, they're hiding, and you know, another buddy's trying to find a way to get in the drywall of the house. Like, I'm inside the house walls, you know. Um, and so, so then the kid comes out of the, the closet after counting and, and starts looking for his friends. And, you know, hours go by. Those hours turn into weeks. Those weeks turn into months, you know, because I brought food and water and survival kit under that little hole. I didn't do that. That would be weird. Okay. Um, and then, you know, months later, like, I found you. Like, like that's intense hide-and-go-seek. Can we agree with that? Yeah. Nothing like junior high hide-and-go-seeks. Good times. And then there's, like, dad and son hide-and-go-seek. You know, I, you know, if Rachel and I have a little boy one day and, uh, you know, they say he's four or five years old. Let's call him either Michael Jordan Johnson or, you know. How about this one? Let's, let's use Vin Diesel Johnson. Something strong. He's fast and he's furious, okay? So it's a little, little Vin Diesel. Um, uh, I, I like that name. I, it is what it is. Um, little Vin Diesel starts, you know, says, comes out to me. He goes, Dad, can we play uh, hide and go seek? I'm like, of course we can play hide and go seek, you know? Go ahead and go and count there, uh, little Vin. And so, uh, so Vin, Vinny starts, you know, counting one, two, three, four. No squares and circles. My kid is a genius. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, you know? And then, you know, starts looking for me. A bad dad will go in the backyard, dig a hole, put some leaves on, and have the straw. Can you imagine a little four-year-old, Dad, where are you? You're never going to find me, kid. And I like, 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 days go by. Where's your kid? Where's your dad? I don't know. We started playing to go seek. I haven't found him for days, you know? Gets older, he's 14. Kids are like, you want to play hide and go seek? No, I don't play that game anymore. Uh, I don't, I don't want to talk about it. And like, he's, like, he's got wounds from it. Like, that would be a bad dad. Can we agree with that? Now imagine, you know, little Vin goes to count to 10, and he's counted 10, and I would, you know, like a good dad, I would get behind the couch and say, this is a couch, and I'd stick out my foot, stick out my arm, and so when he's looking, he'd be able to see my hand and my foot, and, and I want him to find me. A good father wants their kid to find him. And so little Vin walks, you know, around the corner after counting to 10, he's looking, and he goes, I think that's my dad. I, I see his foot, and I see a huge bicep behind that couch. <laughs> perfectly defined traps and shoulders. Anyways, anyways, it's just a dream, okay? It's not really a let me dream, okay? Um, I'm working, I'm working, I'm working. And so, you know, I'm right there, you know, doing my thing, you know, trying to show my son my muscles. And then little Vin walks around the corner. He's like, Dad, I found you. And I pick him up. I'm like, Vin, you're a genius, you know? I'm going to get you a car, you know? And so, and then we rejoice. Like, that would be a sweet moment, be a sweet moment. What's sad about Christianity at times is people who maybe never knew, know who Jesus is or maybe you're here for the first time, but you've been following the Lord for a long time. You picture God as a God who hides under the leaves and has a straw and says, you're never going to find me. But Easter Sunday reminds us that he wants to be found. Easter Sunday says, why are you looking here? Because the way that hide and go seek works with our God is he says, if you seek me, you'll find me. He doesn't only not hide. He goes, you want to hide and go seek? Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to hide right here. I'm going to stand right here. And when you're done counting, I'm just right here. I, I want to be found. I want to be, I want to be the one that helps you. I want to be the one that redeems you. I want to be the one that saves you. I'm not, I'm not even high. Like his hide and go seek looks like this. Like he's waving, okay? Hello. You're like, where are you, God? I'm right here. God, why don't you help me? I'm right here. 
And he says, why are you looking at a place I said it would not be? This Easter, I want to encourage you that if death and despair have knocked on the door this past season, Jesus wants to be found so he can kick it out of your life. Do you ever have a person who come over to visit that you just didn't want to stay anymore, but you didn't know what to say? You didn't have the authority? And Jesus is so good at getting things out of your life that should never be there. I have a story that I want to share with you because the reality is, is I love celebrating Resurrection Sunday. I love it. I love that over 2,000 years ago that our Savior literally died on the cross for our sins and paid the price we could never pay and then emptied the tomb three days later. So now we celebrate that what Romans 8, 10, 11 says, that that same power that uh, raised him from the grave now lives in us. That we are no longer going to be victims, we're going to be conquerors, that we can overcome things we never thought we could overcome. And so you, you pastor a church, and you, you, I've passed for almost 20 years. The, the reality is that the Resurrection Sunday story is the greatest story ever. But Jesus didn't just empty the tomb 2,000 years ago so we could just talk about an empty tomb. He wants to experience empty tombs. He wants to experience resurrection. He wants to experience overcoming things we never thought we could overcome. And so I, I want to encourage you today. If you don't feel like death has been overcome yet in your life or depression or darkness has been overcome in your life, I believe that this is going to be your year. I'm praying and believing by faith and hope that God is going to help you overcome it. And we have a story even to encourage you that somebody two years ago, uh, on, on this, uh, two years ago on Easter was struggling with darkness and despair, but it didn't get him because Jesus said you're mine. Check it out. Good morning, Mission Church. My name is Ian Buckles, and I've been a Christian since I was young. I grew up in church. I'm blessed to have been married to my best friend, Erica, for almost eight years, and our relationship has always been centered on prayer. In March of 2020, right before COVID, we were told by doctors that we wouldn't be able to get pregnant on our own. However, after two months of prayer and crying out, we miraculously got pregnant with our daughter, Addison. She is truly a miracle child. Shortly after she was born, however, I was finding myself overcome with bitterness, anger, and anxiety rather than the joy we had expected and prayed for. I was regretting our daughter, frustrated, and had no patience for Addison or Erica. I began to seek counseling and wisdom to help me understand what I was feeling, and Pastor Tyler was willing to sit down and pray with me. I soon found myself dreaming day and night about escaping. I looked into how far I could drive during the hours my wife slept, how far I could get before anyone noticed. I thought they'd be better off without me. On Easter Sunday, 2021, I was overcome by despair and darkness. For two days, I couldn't get out of bed, I couldn't eat, couldn't function. One night I sat crouched, curled up in the ball next to our front door, crying for hours. My wife and my parents listening and praying with me. In the midst of a true miracle of life in our baby girl Addison, when I should have been celebrating and rejoicing, the enemy and depression were crushing me. I was in more pain and felt more isolated than I can describe. I was devastated and hated myself. How could I escape this feeling? That night by the front door, the thoughts of escaping by driving across the country shifted to thoughts and plans of suicide. The next day, my wife made the difficult decision to take me to the emergency room, where I was soon admitted to an inpatient facility for three days. For 72 hours, I wrestled with the Lord. How could I, a normal person, end up in a mental hospital? Where did I go wrong? Why do I hate myself? While I was in the hospital, my wife and my mom were literally marching circles around our house, declaring victory, redemption, and healing in my life. Erica declared it our Jericho house, where the walls of the enemy would come crashing down. As it says in Psalms 18, while the cords of the grave coiled around me, the stairs of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice 
voice of the Most High resounded, and he shot his arrows, scattering the enemy. Mission Church today, Easter Sunday, two years later to the day, I am able to declare that while the enemy thought he had me, Jesus said, Ian, you are mine. He heard the cries of my wife, my parents, and myself, and he scattered depression and thoughts of suicide. I still have good days and bad days, days where I still actively battle for my mental health. The remedy has involved hours of professional counseling, medication, and being planted in community, but ultimately the remedy is Jesus. I don't know your story or pain, but I do know that the Lord is running and seeking after you, and he hears your cries. The same Lord that lifted Christ from the grave has brought me back to life and given me a second chance. Happy Easter, Mission Church. Come on, come on, we can clap for that. We can clap for that. There's something about when darkness and despair knock on the door, and you know where to go. There's just something about it. There's something that to be said because the reality is if you live enough years in life, you're going to realize that darkness and despair does not get by any of us. That a valley is a coming. It's not if, but it's a when. And when we do go through the valley, what do we do? And what I wanted to do on this Easter is I wanted to look at Jesus' last miracle before his death and resurrection. And his last miracle, it's a doozy. It is a resurrection of Lazarus. And I don't think it's an accident that Jesus, before he goes and dies and resurrects, he, he doesn't... He doesn't just have this be his last miracle just so he can show us that he's going to conquer death for himself. I believe he shows his last miracle to show us that when we do go through a valley, there are truths that we should know to get us out of that valley. That there are going to be lies whispered to us. But if you know these truths, I really believe it. that if you allow Jesus to walk you through that valley, you'll be like Ian a year from now or two years from now saying, darkness thought it had me, but Jesus said, you are mine. So let, let's look at this, uh, uh, this little text in John 11, one of the greatest uh, um, texts in all the Bible. It says this in John 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Stop. The first truth you need to know that if you've been in a valley or you're in a valley or darkness is around you is you need to know that Jesus loves you. And that's a really tokenary Christian bumper sticker statement, but I want to unpack it real quick so you can maybe hear it fresh for the first time. When people go through bad times, a lot of the time they think, well, it's because Jesus doesn't care. It's because Jesus doesn't love me. Maybe because I wasn't living the right way. The reality is, you look at this story, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha are Jesus' best friends. They are his homies. After church, they're the after lunch crew. They're the 4th of July crew. They're like, where are we going for Easter service, Jesus? Do we all want, you want to go to Social Bird? You want to get coffee at Rooted? What you want to do? You want to go hard to the paint? You want to go get sauced and get a bunch of um, uh, a barbecue and eat the ribs? Like, what you want to do, Jesus? Like, that's, uh, that, that's how they rolled. They were best friends. And you think that if you're best friends with Jesus, darkness and despair will never touch your life. But the Bible shows very clearly in Genesis when Adam and Eve chose to rebel from God and sin entered this world, sin was almost like a bomb that exploded and the shrapnel of sin hit everybody because sin affects innocent people. And so Jesus comes to earth and he redeems what Adam and Eve, of course, broke eternally that, that we no longer will allow death to have its final say. We may experience death on this side of heaven, but we'll have eternity for the rest of our life and that's something we can rejoice in. The reality is, though, if I'm just being honest, is it's hard when you sit down with people and they ask you this question. Why did God let this happen? Why would he allow me to experience this? And as a pastor, I've learned through a lot of bad answers that the only real answer I can give them is, I have no idea why this happened, but I know the person who can walk you through it. 
I know the person that can bring hope to something you don't think you can ever have hope again. I know the person who can bring redemption to something that you don't think there can be redemption anymore. I know there is a God who can say, I- I've lost people that uh, I ne- never thought I would lose. I- I've-, I've experienced things I never thought I'd experience. And I allowed the enemy to whisper things. And when I shut him out and I allowed the Lord to speak, I realized there is still hope and joy on the other side. So the first thing you need to know is that Jesus loves you. Second one is, it says this. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Notice for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said a short while ago, the Jews, uh, they were trying to stone you and you're going back. Jesus answered, are, you, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in daytime will not stumble for they will see the Lord's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble for they have no light. Verse 11 says, after he uh, said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. The disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe, let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, worst name in the Bible, by the way, Didymus, come on now, um, the, the translated single for life. Anyways, okay, um, uh, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. For four days. If you know anything about the Jewish culture is they had this superstition that there was three days to raise somebody from the dead. But on the third day, there was no more hope. Hope died on the third day. And so Jesus doesn't even show up within their superstitious window. He shows up on the fourth day. And some of you in the room right now, you're saying, you know, this message would have helped five years ago or last year, but Jesus is too late for my life. He didn't show up the time I needed to show up, so I'm good. Uh, Can I just submit something real quick? You need to understand God's character and his nature real quick. Some of you judge God's love for you by your circumstance. You need to say judging God's love for you by the cross. Now, let me me give you a quick illustration to really unpack what I'm trying to say. Um, I'm married to Rachel, uh, my baby girl, for 11 years. Come on now. She crushed it today. Job well done, baby boo. Um, uh, And I love Rachel. She's hilarious. We love to party. You know, partying meaning like going to bed at 9 p.m. You know, you know, last night, you know, we watched Top Gun Maverick. And we were like, you know, it was like 8.30. It's like, what time is it? Like 11? She's like, it's 8.52. I was like, okay, we can finish the movie. We can finish the movie. But we just, we just have the best, the best time together. Oh, I love her. She's the best. But my girl can't be on time to Nothing. I am type A. I like being on time to things. So our first five years of marriage was so many fights over being on time. Where are my on time people at? Raise your hands. The holy people. Nice to meet you. Where are the late people at? Raise your hands. Sinners, there is grace for you. Okay. Now catch this real quick. For the first five years of our marriage, I'd be so upset. We have to be going somewhere and I'd just be like, come on, let's go. And, and I'd start like, even like thinking things in my head like, do you even love me? Somebody who loved me would not do this to me, you know? And then, and then I started thinking, like, do you even respect the people we're going to have a meal with right now? And then I'd sit in the car, and I'd just be hitting my, Rachel always being all late all the time, and now we're going to have to lie to him saying, sorry, we hit some traffic, uh, you know, on the way here, you know? I'm not going to tell him, sorry, we're late, because we left late, you know? And so for five years, oh, we just fought and fought. I'm here to tell you, 11 years later, she's just as bad or worse today. Oh, she's, ter- she's terrible, terrible at being on time, but I've changed. 
I have surrendered to her nature. <laughs> Rachel doesn't believe in clocks, you know. She, the only tat she got is, what is clock? I'm just kidding. That'd be a funny tat. We should get you that tat. Um, but what's changed is, I've just surrendered to it. I go in the car, turn on some worship music, and I just chill, you know. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. It may look like I am late, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how I fight. So I just chill, you know. Sometimes, you know, like right now, if we're late, I just get my phone. I'm like, all right, I got more time to watch the Masters. Just put, watch, put the Masters on. Like, Rachel's giving me the gift of time. She's too generous. And then you read this story. Lazarus is sick. And the next verse is Jesus stayed in Bethany for two more days. He didn't rush. He doesn't, I don't mean, but I have this clock for Jesus. And he's never on time with my clock. I have this stopwatch for Jesus. And I'm just, all right, Lord, I, I, I prayed. And the clock is ticking. All right, five, four, Jesus, okay, three, two, what? All right, I got a new clock, Jesus. Ten, <laughs> nine. Eight, seven. I had a type A pastor, and his uh, thing was five minutes early was on time. On time was five minutes late. Five minutes late, don't even show up. And the reality is, is we're type A with the Lord a lot. But I'm here to tell you that there's very few testimonies that I've heard where I've had Christians come over. Guess what, Tyler? What? Jesus was early again. <laughs> I said, G I couldn't even get out his full name, and boom, he just delivered. I was, I was sad. I was like, oh, I'm all better now. Very rarely is Jesus' clock on the early side. He's trying to do something in us at the same time as we're going through something. As you're going through something, he's also doing something in you. And so I've, I've realized this, that the type A um, demand we have on the Lord is, if you're not early, Lord, then why even show up? And if you do show up, you're late. And if you're five minutes late, why even come? And I'm here to submit to you that if you could be somebody to trust God's timing, because he lives outside of time. And I, I wish I could tell you that, that the pain you've been through and um, why it happened, because that's one of the biggest questions we have when we go through death and darkness and despair. But I can't answer that question. But Jesus can tell you what he did to that darkness situation, that he's going to conquer it. He's going to redeem it on this side of earth or in heaven. Yeah. Now, what do we do now that we know that? Does Jesus just say, just trust me? And does he sit in the corner and wait for you to come? No. The reality is Jesus actually wants to walk through this with you. He doesn't want you just to sit in the corner. He actually wants to dream with you. I want to show you this real quick. It's an amazing thing. So they're going through uh, despair. And there's this amazing conversation you see Jesus with the two people that hurt him most. Jesus doesn't sit in the corner and just say, well, just wait there. I'm going to take care of you. He actually wants to journey through their pain with them. And I want to see how he journeys with their pain. You ready? Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. As she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. 
When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforted her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see the, uh, the Lord. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. So right here, you have the two people who are hurting most, and Jesus gives them an honest answer, and he gives them weeping. And what I mean by that is they come in, and he knows the situation is dire. He says, I get it. This, this, is, this is death, but I'm the resurrection. Do you believe that I can overcome what you're going through right now? And Martha goes, I, I believe you. So the first thing he addresses is just the truth. Do you believe that I am the way, the truth, and life, that I'm the one that can lead you out of this? But the second part he gives is he gives this thing called love. He just weeps because he understands you just don't need a tokenary statement. You need somebody to weep with you to understand what you've been going through. I'll never forget it. I, I, I haven't been through a, a ton of dark seasons, but a few years ago, I went through the hardest season of at least my life. And it may not be a big storm to you, but it was my big storm in my life, at least. It was one, it was one of my bigger storms in my life. I had a health medical issue with my esophagus, and um, I woke up in the middle of the night one night, and I was spitting acid, and my esophagus felt like it was on fire, hurt to breathe, called the doctor, and, you know, they start telling me, hey, here's a few things we got to check for. We got to take a biopsy. Maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's this. And so I remember going in and getting the biopsy and them taking skin out and just being afraid, and I allowed depression and darkness just to take a seat right next to me in my life. And when you allow depression and darkness to take a seat, they say things to you that are just from the pit of hell. They'll say things like, it's over. Things will never be the same. You're done. This is your new normal. Pain is your, newest, your, 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 new, your new friend. You're never going to have pain leave you anymore. I mean, when you preach the gospel, literally as one of the primary things you do for the, your, your life, and you can't speak because your throat hurts so bad, you start to get really stressed out and nervous. And when you're an extrovert and you just love to talk, bloop, 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 and you can't talk anymore, you get really depressed. And then you hear darkness and despair say things to you like, if God loved you, why would he do this to you? You served him for 20 years and this is what God did for you? Is this, is, is this the kind of God you worship? And so you can either sit with darkness and despair, which will never ever move you from anywhere except a pity party and anger and frustration and more death and despair, or you can go to the one that can walk you out with real truth and redeem you. And so I remember going on this journey with my throat, and I, uh, uh, I had this doctor, and I went in, and he, you know, did the procedure, and, you know, they put me under, and I was asleep, and I wake up, and, you know, first question I ask, just because I'm so, so scared, is like, is it cancerous? Is it cancer? Cancer? Like, well, the biopsy didn't come back, but everything looked good. You, you definitely have something. And, uh, and so the doctor comes out, the nurse comes out, I'm like, can I talk to the doctor? I want to know, like, am I going to be Okay. And the nurse goes, oh, we, we got a piece of paper for you, and we got a prescription, and, and, and that's it. I was like, no, can I talk? To, I, I want to talk to the doctor. I want to know, am I going to be okay? Am I going to be okay? And so the nurse like, he's busy. Uh, we got a piece of paper for you. He wrote down what you need to do. I was like, please, I, 30, just ask, I just want 30 seconds with the doctor. Is the pain in my throat, is every breath for the rest of my life going to hurt? Am I not going to be able to speak anymore? For the, I need to know, can you please go get the doctor? She's like, she goes and grabs the doctor, and I'm like, so am I okay? I'm going to be okay? And the doctor's like, hey, I wrote down a piece of paper. We're going to have a Zoom thing, you know, next week. Here's the thing. I got to go. And he just walks away. And I remember just feeling so hopeless at that moment, feeling just so alone at that moment. And so I went to a couple of doctors, and they were so dismissive and just, just so uncaring. And I just, 
I felt like I was never going to have my esophagus be better. And to be honest, I still have to manage the, 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 um, my pain still and have to make sure I'm careful with my esophagus and what I eat and how it feels. But I remember, I'll never forget, uh, my fourth doctor I um, got set up with, Dr. Lodwick. Shout out to Dr. Lodwick. Come on now. Um, and uh, it was during COVID, so it was still a Zoom thing. And I'm, I remember having my questions ready because I, every doctor I talked to, I, I knew that I was going to have maybe, maybe three minutes and then I was done, you know? So I was like, I was like, uh, I remember zooming on and Dr. Lowe was like, hello. I was like, hello, Dr. Lowe. Okay, here are my three questions, you know? And he's like, he's like, whoa, how are you doing today? I was like, good. And, 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 and so um, we sit there and, and I'm, I'm ready to ask him my questions. And he just says, Tyler, I've been looking at your, uh, your folder and I saw... Um, your procedure and the pictures they took of your esophagus and see here that they found out you have EOE and, and your esophagus is really inflamed and there's a lot of pain uh, right now when you breathe. And uh, it must have been a really hard season for you. And I was like, it, ha- it has, Dr. Ludwig. And so he goes, Tyler, tell me your story. And I was like, what? Like, and I'm like, huh? Like, I remember he goes, tell me your story. And I was like, well, I grew up in Puyallup, Washington. Um, I wanted to be uh, the next Michael Jordan. That dream fell quick, very quickly. Um, and I didn't start there, don't worry. And I, I just told my story. I said, yeah, I woke up one night, I was puking blood, and, uh, and I was spitting up some acid and some blood. It was really scary. I didn't know what was going on. And uh, I, just, I just had pure pain in my esophagus. And when I speak, it just, it's unbelievably painful. And he just looked at me and he goes, Tyler you know people find rest and peace just sitting there and breathing, and you haven't had rest or peace for the last three months of your life. This must have been so difficult. And I said, I mean, it's like I just felt saw. Like, you see me, Dr. Lodwick? Like, like everybody else is like, oh, I know, I know it's a hard season. We're praying for you. Like, like Dr. Lodwick saw me, and he's like, he's like, it must have been the hardest. I remember, like, I wanted to touch the screen. Like, Dr. Lodwick, I love you. You're so good to me. You know, it's like one of those moments. And I remember him comforting me and saying, Tyler, it's terrible right now, but we're going to get through this. We're going to go have you take three different types of tests. We're going to have you go on a journey, and we're going to get to the other side of this together. And I remember saying, thank you, Dr. Lodwick. And if anybody here has allergies or any autoimmune thing, like uh, that kind of stuff, I go, man, there's only one person I recommend. He's the best of the best when it comes to allergies. His name's Dr. Lodwick. Now, let's get back to darkness and despair, though. When people are going through darkness and despair, there's only one person I know that gives truth and tears. The one person that says, here's the situation, but do you believe I can walk through it with you? And not only will I walk through it with you, I'm going to mourn with you and cry with you. I'm going to believe with you, and I'm going to get you to the other side. And, and, And I'm here to tell you that Jesus is the best of the best when it comes to darkness and despair because the resurrecting king is still resurrecting. He goes on and the scripture says this, says, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could he not have opened the eyes of the blind man, uh, kept this man from dying? Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take the stone away. He said, stop. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. It's this moment where Jesus is, and again, I just don't want to read the text with you. Can you picture this text real quick? Jesus comes to a village, the house is here, the, the tomb and the hill and the grave right there where the stone is being covered is right there. And Jesus walks up 
And Mary is crying, and friends are crying, and Jesus is looking at the grave, and he's seeing just pain everywhere. <clears throat> the creator of the universe, the, the masterpiece, that um, the apple of his eye, mankind, has been destroyed by sin and death. And he's seeing just the pain it's caused families and people. And it says he's deeply moved. Deeply moved. That Greek word, you don't have to be a scholar to know what that Greek word means if you actually look at the Greek. It means to snarl, to shout, or to snort. It literally would be like a lion roaring at its enemy uh, because it hurt one of its cubs or one of its, uh, somebody in its pride. Like, ah, you won't touch them ever again. It would be saying, how dare you? It would be that kind of verbiage. It would be, it would be anger. Never again will you have the final say. If I had a new car, and it's just a car. Let's just use this as a stupid illustration, but just bear with me. If I had a new car, and I walked out, and you took a baseball bat to my new car, I would scream, what are you doing? I'd be angry. I'd be frustrated. You just broke something that was brand new that I had just bought and that I enjoyed. Now take something that is a hundred billion times worth more than a car, the creator and his creation. And he sees the pain that sin has just clawed at and beat up and destroyed and caused death. And he screams at it and says, no longer will you mark my people. No longer death will you have the final say. I'm going to destroy you, death. This is the conversation you see. And if you could look at the spiritual ramifications, if you knew the, the, the timeline, he's saying to death, death, you're done. But you can almost hear death screaming back, if you touch Lazarus, I get to touch you. And so he says, roll the stone away. And if you know the rest of the text, I'm just going to share it with you. You can read it when you go home. They say, no, 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 no. We can't roll the stone away, uh, uh, Jesus. It's been four days. It stink in there. The, 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 the King James says, it stinketh. It smells terrible. And the reality is, he says, do you not trust me that I'm the resurrection life? He has to remind them, roll the stone away. Because if I'm being honest, a lot of you, oh, Jesus wants to heal you, redeem you. Okay, he can heal this part. But he wants to heal the part that you don't want anybody else to see. The one that just stinketh in your life right now. The, 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 the worst parts, you're like, no, I don't think you understand. This is a terrible part. And Jesus goes, did you not just hear what I said? I'm here to heal everything. And so he says, roll the stone away. And he says, Lazarus, come out. And as Lazarus comes out, he's not done just having Lazarus come to life. He's a good God. He doesn't just resurrect us. He clothes us. And he says, take the grave clothes off of Lazarus. And if you know anything about the story of the resurrection, you need to understand something. In John 11, when he does this final miracle, it says in 1153 that, that they began to plot how to kill Jesus. He ends one funeral, but he begins his own. He, he takes the grave clothes off Lazarus and puts them on himself. And he takes the robe of righteousness and gives it to Lazarus. I don't know about you, but I want that kind of Savior in my life. I don't know about you, but I want that kind of king in my life. I want that kind of person in my corner saying, I'm going to fight for you. I don't know where you're at today, but the grave clothes you're wearing, Jesus wants to take them, and he wants to give you a new robe. I don't know what kind of darkness you have, but he wants to take the darkness and replace it with joy and peace. I don't know where you, what, what your story is. But the reality is, is that this Easter Sunday, some of you came in here thinking you were just going to attend a service. Jesus wanted to do way more than have you attend a service. He wanted to do heart surgery. He wanted to do life transformation, spiritual stuff. He wanted to open your eyes that your life is not here in the valley for the rest of your life, that there are great things still ahead. Will you bow your heads?
I don't know if it's your first time or second time. I just want to pray for people who are hurting in the room. God, I pray right now for the ones that, like, like Ian said, that Psalm 18, where they, they feel like this darkness and death have wrapped their chains around their house or around the relationship or around their own soul and emotions. God, we believe that you're going to strike arrows and cause the enemy to scatter this next season. That darkness will not have the final say. And Lord, I pray right now for anybody in the house who's new to church and who's never said yes to you. God, I pray right now for this moment that salvation would happen. God, would you open eyes right now? Would you open ears? Would you soften hearts? The Bible's very clear. I'm going to ask you in just a second if you want to respond to what Jesus did in your heart. This is what we call a salvation call at church. I didn't grow up in church 16. I remember raising my hand and dedicating my life to Jesus. In the middle of a service like this, uh, we, we, we have uh, just the presence of God in the room. Maybe when you were worshiping, like, what is happening in the room? Why do I feel this way? It's called the Holy Spirit. He's, he, he's, he's one of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit, he literally was working on your heart right when you walked in. And you felt a tug on your heart. You felt something knocking on your heart. And you want to respond to it. Lydia's the Lord saying, hey, I'm right here. No hide and seek to be done. I want to save you and redeem you. So if you want to say yes to salvation today, you want to say yes to heaven, no to hell, yes to blessing, no to cursing, if you want to confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and Savior, and he can do things you can never do, if that's you today, on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand, and we just want to pray for you. One, two, three. If you want to say yes to Jesus, raise your hand, raise it high. Say yes to salvation. I see you. That's a great decision. I see you. That's a great decision. I see you. That's a great decision. Come on now. Raise it up in the very back. I want to see. I think I see somebody. Raise it. That's a great decision. Come on now. We can clap for that, Mission Church. Come on now. We can clap for that. You want to stand up? I want to pray for you. God, I thank you for the 915 service. God, I thank you for what you did in this service. God, I believe that there are people in this room that they'll never forget today because this is the beginning of them punching darkness in the face and having light, joy, and peace come back into their life. Lord, we thank you that the empty grave marks that we don't have to have any more graves in our life. Lord, we love you. We love you. And everybody said? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.